Welcome to the Marketing Tips for Doctors podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to attracting more patients ready to schedule their first appointments to grow your practice without spending hours and hours away from your practice or home. Hear how to boost your online presence, develop a strong rapport with each one to increase patient compliance while adding value and growing revenue. Now, here's your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, America's leading medical strategist. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Today, we have with us Paul Wright. He is a physiotherapist and former owner of multiple allied health clinics in Australia, which he rarely visited. He is the author of the Amazon bestseller, How to Run a One-Minute Practice. Wouldn't we all know? want to know how to do that? Founder of the Practiceology Health Business Freedom Program and has helped thousands of allied health business owners across 57 countries earn more, work less, and enjoy their lives. Welcome to the show, Paul. Absolutely. Uh, pleased to be here, Barbara. What, what, a, what a buzz. Um, I've followed your work for a long time, so it's great to be, uh, to be part of your organization. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure and uh, the luck for the listeners. <laughs> you know, just, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know, a lot of people have asked me in, in the past, you know, how do you or why do you transition from being a physician to being a health marketer, which I always say is a, a natural transition for me. And then I give my story. So tell us about your journey, how you went from active physiotherapist to being a health business owner and speaker. Uh, I, I suppose, Barbara, I tell people I'm in my fourth career. Uh, my my first career when I was at school, because I grew up in a small country town in in northwest New South Wales, Australia. So there wasn't many people. And uh, and what did what did a sport mad kid want to do other than be a PE teacher, like a physical education teacher? Because that's all we knew was sport out in the country. So I wanted to be a physical education teacher. Uh, I I got accepted to Newcastle University and did a Newcastle uh, phys ed course. Uh, last year of my undergraduate course, I, I met a physiotherapist, Barbara, and I, I didn't even know what a physiotherapist was. Um, we didn't have any in Canamble, my hometown. Um, so I found this physio gig and I thought, well, that sounds good. Applied to Sydney Uni, got accepted to be a physiotherapist, which then became my second career being a physio. Um, I, I think I was fundamentally an entrepreneur, Barbara, and I, and I couldn't see myself working for someone else like a, as a teacher um, for my career. So I Maybe that was why I transitioned into physio, but then I wanted to be a physio business owner, which was my third career. Uh, end up growing six practices. My claim to fame, I suppose, I didn't go to any of them. Uh, I ran them remotely. Um, people start asking me how I did that. How did I, how did I um, run them and not be there, which then got me onto the speaking journey and sharing this, which then became, well, my third career was a, was a phys ed, uh, physio business owner. My fourth career was then educating and mentoring other people how to do it. And I, I'm a firm believer, Barbara, in sliding doors uh, and things happen for reasons. And I didn't know it at the time, but uh, when I was in my physio business, I used to, to look out onto a road, Barbara, in Sydney, and then the, a bus kept going past. And I'd, I'd, I'd be at the practice early, like most of you guys, sun coming up, I'm at the practice sun going down, I'm at the practice, but I'm in my treating cubicle and this bus keeps going past. 
and on the side of the bus it says why most small businesses fail and what to do about it. This was on the bus, and I and I'm better at picking up this now. But in in, the, in those days, I was slow to pick it up. The bus must have gone past a thousand times, and <laughs> and and I think that the universe was trying to park the bus there for me, but I was just missing it. So, but now I'm better at, at that. But so the and I, I followed the phone number that was on the side of the bus. It led me to a Michael Gerber seminar, which. Hopefully you will know about the E-Myth uh, book with Michael Gerber. And that started the whole journey for me to systemize, replicate, um, sell them, which I eventually sold them, and then doing what I'm doing now all came from a bus going past. And uh, I think we all have those those moments, and that and that was mine. And as I said, I sold the practices, and now I, I help other owners do exactly what I did. Um, and that's kind of my journey today, and it's it's a great it's been a great ride. That's great. Just goes to show you that you know sometimes it's just a question of following your destiny. <laughs> yeah, or or probably understanding what that someone is trying to tell you something. Well, the bus um, had to go by that many times so you could pick up one number at a time on that telephone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I say to my clients now in, in practiceology that, that, that the universe will tell you what's happening. And I'm not the great, I'm not the esoteric guy. I'm a very analytical, scientific guy, but I'm getting better at this. And it, it's like it's like when you tell an owner if if they get an applicant, like an applicant for a for a therapy position, and they're a superstar, like they're a really good applicant for, a, and you might not even have a job ad going, but you get a, you get a CV or a repli- or an application from someone who's a superstar and and the owner says oh look I haven't I haven't got a spot at the moment so I've, I won't be able to take them I can guarantee you within a week one of your team members is leaving your this this there's a message this I, I always say take them and see what happens because I'll tell you the the, the 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 resignation is coming it's the universe has told you this person has been presented to you um take them and it happens all the time you know, I'm, I'm getting better at that stuff now I think as I get older. You mentioned that there are seven critical mistakes which reduce profits, increase stress, which we all are experiencing now, and chain you to your health business, especially during a pandemic, which seems pretty useful information now. One of the seven which um, I see is the most and maybe the most uh, harmful is the ineffective, non-existent, or unsupervised uh, internal systems. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Um, well, that, that that was probably Barbara the origin of my whole one-minute practice model. I, I as I started doing this Gerber process and systemizing everything, so everything became a process. And I and I I live by some mantras: um, do the work once, get paid forever is one of my favorites. So if you're going to do something, do it. You have to do it, then record it, document it, create the steps so it can be done again. Um, and we started doing that in my business. So as I as I moved out of a consulting role in my practice, I started documenting the systems and creating the manual, which Gerber talks about as the franchise prototype, which, which is what it is. It's how your business runs. Uh, probably the best example of that that we put into one minute practice and in our business is what we call a new patient register. So a patient arrives at a practice and there are a, there are a certain number of steps that that person has to go through in the journey. And in our in our business, it was uh, what was the referral source? We need to know in great detail the referral source. Did they sign their paperwork? Um, did they get what we called a, an action plan or a report of findings? Now, if there's one... 
for allied health business owners out there, you've got to have this report of findings. Now, chiropractors have been great at it for years. Physios, physical therapists, probably not so good. Uh, medicos, probably not at all. But it's a it's, it's, it's a sheet of paper, Barbara, that, that outlines you sit down next to the patient after you've done your history and your examination and you say, um, this is what you've got. You overview what they've got. This is what we're going to do about it. Uh, and this is how many times you've got to come back to get it. So it's you know, twice a week for four weeks is, is eight sessions or whatever the recommendation is. And I wanted, my frustration, Barbara, is I was having patients coming into our practice and they were getting different recommendation for all different things. So there was no consistency. And I then wasn't sure what everyone was getting. So I created this new patient register and this action plan recording system. So did they get their action plan? Had to be a yes. Uh, how many consults were on the plan? So how many consults were on that that plan as it came through? Had to be one of our things as well. Uh, and we documented that very clearly in our in our measurement. So if they came into the practice, yes, they got a plan. Twice a week for four weeks, they need to come back. That's eight. And then the next column was how many consults did they book? Because you know the deal. They come into the practice, they we recommend eight sessions and they don't book any, or they book one. Or the admin team says, we'll book them one by one when you come in next time. So that's a it's a common thing in practice, Barbara, but it just it it, it it without having some sort of system or process for it, you don't know whether it's happening or not. So that's our new patient register and action plan. And if there's only one thing you did today from this presentation, create that one-page document, your report of findings. It's what have they got? What are you going to do about it? How many times a week are they going to have to come back? And that's that's simply the most important training tool, Barbara, you can ever give in your practice. Your client gets it. And as the owner of the practice, it then stops you from having this situation where, let's say, uh, you get a new team member on, and you, they get lots of new patients, but then look at their diary and their diary is empty because they're not rebooking well enough. They're not, they're not booking them in. So if you go to your register and you say, this person saw a new patient here, they recommended six and they booked one. They recommended five and they booked one. They recommended eight and they booked none. You can see that in advance rather than looking at your diary and thinking, well, why is it empty? Which that's just a simple example. But bottom line, Barbara, processes, systems measured and monitored, recorded, and become part of your training program. Uh, my, my best, my biggest moment, Barbara, my scariest one was when I remember waking up bolt upright one night in bed, realizing my admin manager knew everything. And I knew nothing about a lot of the steps and processes in the business. And I thought, if something happens to her, I'm in all sorts of trouble. So I remember it. I rang her and I said, I need you in there first thing in the morning. I've got the camera. I've got your shift covered. I want you to show me how you do everything. So, and these are the days back in the handicap. So I stood there with a the handicap behind her. Show me how you add this. Show me how you do that. Show me how you do that. And I then had a document that I could use or a video. If something happened to her, I had it in place. And I slept better when that happened because I knew if anything happened to her, I had some sort of backup in it. But you've, you've got to have these things in place. And if you launch a system, the other thing, guys, if you launch a system, you've got to make sure you measure it, track it, and people are accountable for it being done. Otherwise, it won't happen. Uh, another one of your uh, seven critical mistakes where I see you would probably get the most pushback from the people that you're speaking to is when you say... Uh, 
you know, failing to understand the true role of your business, because I see that your allied professionals would say, well, of course, you know, I got, I'm an allied health professional. Of course, I know what my business and my role is. Um, you know, how, how do you explain that to them? Well, I think that's the, uh, it's almost the curse of the business side. What, when, when I say they, under, they fail to understand the role of the business, but we, we go into business as an allied health professional, or actually go back a stage, we, we decide to be an allied health professional or health professional for a certain reason. Um, but but as we then change that technician and change our mindset from being a, a, a technical performer of the business or the or the skill, the physio, the doctor, the chiro, the osteo, so that role. Once we change that role into being owning the business, that's a different role. And sometimes we don't evolve with that role. So we we take on the job of being the owner of the practice, but we still have a, a technician mindset. And I think that comes back to Barbara, why do you want to own the business? Why did you want to start or be the business owner? Why didn't you just stay a clinician? Because they're two different roles. And I believe when you ask people why they why they started the business or why do they become the business owner, they say they want they want more freedom. They want more control. They, they don't want to work for someone else. That's what they say. But then when you analyze them in detail, Barbara, they're they're doing the consulting as well as doing these other things. So they actually, they haven't actually got more freedom at all. They've got less freedom. They're, the business is in controlling them. The team are controlling them. And that's that's why you've got to ask yourself, why did you want to be a business owner in the first place? Because I believe the role of a business is to give you more life. That's the only role of a business, to give you more life. And that means choice. Freedom when you go, freedom what you charge, freedom when you take holidays. That's the freedom you get when you're a business owner doing it well. But if you if you think the role is still being a clinician, you may as well work for someone else. Um, and one, one of the things I do in my seminars and courses, Barbara, we talk about a thing called the freedom score. And the freedom score is, is you look at, take your typical week, how many hours in that week do you actually physically have to be at your practice? So how many hours a week do you physically have to be there? Now, if, if you've got patients from morning till night, then it's, it's, that's how many hours, add that up. And that's your freedom score. So that's your, the time you have to be in the practice. And I believe the job of the role of your business is to try and decrease your freedom score. The business should run without you being there. You can be there if you want to, but not, you don't have to be there. But that's when you transition from being an, a therapist into being an owner. <clears throat> that being said, I've got clients that, that adopt what they call the Mr. X model. And the Mr. X model is, is a model where the person still wants to treat patients. They love treating, but they do it on their own terms, meaning the classic Mr. X. They don't, they don't work school holidays. They, they have certain hours they work and they don't never budge on that. So they start at nine, finish at two, whatever their hours are. And they don't budge from that. I've got Mr. X's where if the surf is up and they're mad surfers, they'll just cancel their list. They just, the patients know that. The patients know that surf's up, Brian's gun surfing. But they know that. They charge what they want. They, they sometimes don't even, they don't even take insurance. Like they just, they just run the business how they want to run it. And that's, and that's a fair model as well. If you're happy to still be there, but so even in that case, the business is there to serve them. They're not serving their business. 
and I think, sorry, and the other big thing, Barbara, and this is how I lost a stack of money. When we're thinking about the role of the business, um, we also have to understand a thing called current bank versus future bank. Now, current bank is the money I make for the time I'm consulting. It's the time I'm there. So it's my revenue. It's the clients. It's what they're seeing. The future bank is what it's worth when I sell it or the exit amount. Now, I learned this the hard way. I had a practice inside a fitness center in Sydney, pumping practice, Barbara, doing great money, like really good current bank business. Uh, I got a phone call from one of my clients. Uh, it was a Thursday night, I, I, I remember, saying that he, he had, had word that the owner of the gym where I was a subtenant of had not paid rent for three months. I'm nervous. I'm thinking, oh, that's not good because I've got a pumping practice inside this fitness center. I, I go in the next day, can't speak to the owner of the gym. I say, is this true? He said, oh, there's some truth to it. <laughs> and I was about to give him my rent check for the month. And he said, just hold on to that, mate, because I knew him as a personal friend. Just hold on to that. I said, okay, that, that's bad. I rang, the, I rang the truck company, got myself a truck, cancelled patients for the day. We moved everything into the back of a truck from the practice. The whole practice was in the truck in, in, the, in a day. Everyone was saying, Paul, what are you doing? The, the gym will be opening again Monday. Someone else is going to buy it. It's all in, in process. Your, gym, your practice will be open on Monday. I said, when the practice opens Monday, I'll bring everything back. Um, we drove off that Friday. Can I tell you, Bob, we never once again set foot inside that practice, that gym. It was shut that moment. We lost a pumping business in less than 24 hours. What was the lesson? I was relying on someone else to pay their rent. Uh, I had a current bank business that didn't necessarily have any future bank because it was hard to, to sell a practice inside a gym. Didn't understand the concept of the business. And... <laughs> And I think the other lesson I learned, the most dangerous number in business, Barbara, is number one. Don't rely on one of anything. Don't rely on one location. Don't rely on one landlord. Don't rely on one referral source, one therapist, one senior admin person. Dangerous number, the number one, Barbara, in business. Well, as I know, there's a song that says uh, one is the loneliest number. In business. And that was why when I woke up that night with my admin person because she was the one person who knew everything and if anything happened to her I was gone if you've got if you've got that person in your practice the one person or the or the one thing if you're relying on one of anything dangerous um, I, I, I had a client once Bobby you love this he was a really good uh, physio and he got 95 percent of his work from one specific orthopedic surgeon so there was one surgeon who sent him almost all of his work and I was when he told me I was traumatized. I said, "Well, my goodness!" I said, "I hope, I hope you're meeting this guy when he leaves his house in the morning, and you get him across the street, okay? And you're, you're, you're getting him into the office. I mean, I'd be, I'd be looking after that guy because there's something you got to watch out for. But that was dangerous, dangerous gig. Well, so far, as a recap, uh, two important lessons which we've just learned from you is that. First of all, it's important to have a, a work-life balance. And secondly, even before you ever open up your business, you should also be looking to see how you can monetize it for selling it at the end to make sure that it, ha it has worth. But yeah. you are, um, you know, you're speaking uh, 
in in the last um, point really transitions us well into falling victim to the perfectionist syndrome um, because uh, as you had mentioned that you know it can't be just you in the business it has to be the office itself <clears throat> now you know most health professionals are saying well of course we have a perfectionist syndrome you know especially in litigious uh, days we have to make sure that we're like the best and that we oversee everything that there are no mistakes being made how do you counteract that well i spoke to a guy this week who was going to join our practiceology program and he he's the when i talked to him he was the, the master of this certain process he was the guru he was he was everything for this process this specific rehab process but he's working from dawn to dusk seven days a week and it's okay what's what's his alternative he can keep doing that or he can get other people to do it for him he can he can train them in his method and i said to him at the at the time i said how good do the do your un, your other team members have to be as a percentage of you for you to be comfortable for them to do the work? Like what percentage? If there are, are they, do they have to be 80% as good as you? Do they have to be 90% as good as you? Where would you be comfortable? He said, well, I'd like them to be 90% as good as me before they did the work. And, I, and it's not, it's common you hear that. Um, I said to him, well, how long have you been doing this for? Well, 30 years. All the courses he's done, this guy has spent decades getting to be the 100% guy. How long is it going to take him to get someone up to be 90% as good as him? I said, that's not tenable. You've got to, you've got to make sure you, you package your system well enough so that I believe someone who is 50% as good as you can do an exceptionally good job because you're not going to find 60, 70, 80, 90% people that quickly. So one of the keys to it, Barbara, is understanding they're not your team are not you. They're never going to be you. You accept that. That doesn't mean they'll still get a great. Uh, 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 they still they still get a great outcome working with someone else. You just have to leverage them and train them well enough in your system. So, creating this franchise prototype of what you do, the program that you deliver, and train that exceptionally well in another, another person is the only way out of your business. And and we have to accept that people won't be as good as us. They'll be fifty percent, sometimes less than that. But. But one thing that I learned years ago, and it's an interesting expression, so be careful with it. It, it, it. To be successful in this, you have to leverage ordinary people with great systems. Now, I'm, I'm careful how I say it. I'm not saying people are ordinary, but they're not you. They're not the superstar. So they're going to be ordinary in comparison to you. But you leverage that person with really good systems so they appear better than they are. Yes, well, of um, course, so you wouldn't have any value to the practice if you didn't have anybody other than yourself. If you were the only one, then you could never step down because there'd be nothing to buy. They, yep. you know, people would be only buying you and yep. you, you wouldn't be there. So, you know, yep. your practice would not have any value. And just think of that guy who worked for 50 years. I mean, his entire life was on hold. Yeah, and the, the thing too, like it, it's not that hard. Like when you say leverage ordinary people with great systems, sometimes it's just the words they use. Um, we when, our, when we do our action plan training, our, our report of findings training, you can get a new grad to deliver a really good report of findings. Uh, Barbara, to get you back to that marathon that you want to do in two weeks' time, you need to see us twice a week for two weeks. We'll do this and this and this. 
Now, if you do that, we'll get you back there. How's that sound? Like the way they say that compared to what a new grad may say, oh, we'll try a bit of this and we'll do a bit of this and give us a call and we'll see how it goes. Like that's just words. So you can leverage a new grad even with really good scripts and conversations and train that a lot to make them appear better than they are and the patient will still get a great outcome. And I think, and this is an interesting expression you'd like, to the blind man, the one-eyed man is king, which your patients don't know. They have, If they haven't seen you, they don't know you're the 100% person. Okay, If, if they're seeing a new patient, a, patient for the, a therapist for the first time, if they don't know what's going on as the patient and the therapist knows what's going on, they're king. They might be one-eyed compared to you who are the superstar, but... But there's still, you don't have to be the best in the world. I like this. You just have to be the best in their world. That's true. You know, here, um, in order for a drug to be approved for a generic uh, application, they just have to prove that they are 80% as effective and 80% of the time. Yeah. So that pretty much would hold for your model as well. I think too, the other thing I like, I think it was Reid Hoffman. I mean, the other thing that health professionals typically do, Barbara, they, they might have a great program or package that they're fine-tuning, like they're working on a program, but they take so long to get it to market because they want it to be perfect. They want it to be just absolute everything. And, and sometimes as a result, it never gets to market or it takes too long to get there. And I think one thing that, that I learned and this, I think it was Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn. If if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. So so what they're saying is don't, it doesn't have to be perfect to launch it. They talk about a, a minimal viable product, an MVP. Put something out there and see if there's got, if it gets traction. If people like it, then make it better. But too many health professionals have spent years and years of their life creating a, a bee's knees program only to find that the market doesn't really want it. Or by the time it gets out there, the market's moved on. Like put something out there and see if, it, see if it's got some legs and then fine tune it. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. That'll, it's too slow. Um, the universe rewards action and the universe rewards speed. Get so it is, out there, see what happens. Yeah. So is that what you mean by falling in love with your product? Well, that's that's kind of another mistake. Um, this this is probably one of the prime ones we make, Barbara. The, the mistake is we all did it. I'm not sure why you get we did medicine, but but if you think about your specific career, what you know, what what led me to want to become a physio? Um, I wanted to, that was the point. I I wanted to be a physio. I liked anatomy. I liked physiology. I liked injuries. So I wanted I wanted to be a physio. So I fell in love with the idea of being a physio. But at no time in my in any of that process did I think, is there a demand for physio? Is there a need for physio? Can I make a great living out? I didn't think any of that because I fell in love with my product. And we do that when we choose our career. But the, the same thing happens, Barbara, when you, let's say you have a specific product or program. Let's say it's a migraine program you've got. You fall in love with it. You, we fall in love with the product, but that's a mistake because the market might not want the product. So the, the example, I love Shark Tank. You guys have Shark Tank in the States. You know, they, where, where the people pitch their product and yeah. they pitch it to the sharks, now they're going to invest in it. My, yeah, the, and you'll, see, mm -hmm. you'll see a stack of people with, who fall in love with their product. But my favourite one, 
was the guy that turned up once with the he had armpit pads that you, the guys put under their shirts to stop their arm, their shirts from getting sweaty. So like a pad under the arm. So that's his product. He comes up to the sharks and he pitches this product. It's, it's an underarm thing you put under here and it stops your, your, your shirt getting sweaty. And the, pit, the, the sharks wouldn't touch it. They said, oh. And, and they asked him once, they asked him, how many have you sold so far? Well, I've been doing this about 10 years and I've sold about 1,000. And, but it, <laughs> And the moment they heard that, they oh, okay, there's no market in this. So the sharks wouldn't touch it. And he, they said, no. So they, and they interviewed this guy at the back and they said, what are you going to do now? So I'm going to stick with it. I, I believe in this. See, there's a classic example. He's fallen in love with his product. He fell in love with that. Not really the idea of what the market wants. That What you have to do, Barbara, is fall in love with your market. Mm-hmm. Fall in love with what the market wants and then create the product that delivers the solution to the market, not the other way around. You know, people say, I, 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 a guy came to me to seminar once. I, Paul, I want to open six practices on the northern suburbs of Sydney, Australia. Oh. And the, the key words, I want. See, I want to. I said, oh, uh, is there a market for that? Oh, oh I think so. I, I, you know, I'd assume so. Oh, where are you going to find your staff? Oh, I'll just advertise. See, here's a guy who he, he wanted to do something, but he hadn't really done his research whether the market wanted it. He just wanted to do it. And so don't fall in love with your product, fall in love with your market. That's There's the big tip. Fine. And I did it in my business. I, I, I start, When I was running my practices, owners were asking me how I did it. How did I run them and not be there? So the market was... was coming to me saying, we want a solution for our problem. I didn't start doing this because I wanted to teach people about it. The market presented itself. And I, so I ran a couple of seminars and big attendance, like no one was, this is 12, 15 years ago. No one was doing this sort of stuff back then. Business education for health businesses F- filled the room with people. And I think there's something in this, the market wanted it. So then I, my job was then to create the products that filled the market, satisfied the market. I, I, it didn't matter if I loved, I, I love helping health business owners create, earn better business, run better businesses. But if there's no one coming to the seminars, no one buying the book, no one doing it, what's, I've made the same mistake. So fall in love with the market. Don't fall in love with your product. Big mistake. Well, that's so important. Of course, it makes it a little less embarrassing now that we're doing it digitally so that nobody could see that the room is empty. <laughs> yeah, but, but what that does though, Barbara, it's a good point. Like it's so easy now to test if something's got legs. Let's say I'm going to run a um, an, an elbow elbow uh, injury rehab program for golfers. See, I can I can just do it on I can I can put this out online, run some ads, put into some golf magazine, and see if I get some people to buy it. Or pretty pretty cheaply, I can test the market. Like we did it with our programs. Like we do a we've got a, a front desk training program, for example. And what, how we ran that is we ran a live seminar. And for this event, we recorded the seminar, so that became the product. But if we didn't get a full house, I wasn't going to pay for the guy to come and video it and create the product because there wasn't a market for it. So, I'd, so when we got a critical number of registrations, I thought this has got legs. We'll we'll get we'll pay the video guy. We'll get the program done and we'll create the product. But if no one registered, we wouldn't have done it. 
I think that's so true, though, that, you know, people do do it the reverse way, which is the wrong way. They (laughs) make the product. They spend all the time making the product. They put it out there and then they hope that somebody will buy. When we started, we've we've started programs, Barbara. We started the eight step, the eight steps to freedom for health business owners. Uh, And I launched it with only one step completed. So I hadn't I didn't have the steps two to seven, two to eight done. I. I launched it with step one, and then if there was enough people registered, I'd goodness me, I have to create the other steps. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then you start doing it, and that, that was easy to do. But the, the, you don't, you don't, don't do the whole steps and then think, oh, now I'll launch this thing because it might not have legs. But, but that 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 disturbs the head of most analytical health health professionals who 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 want to be wanted to be perfect because they they think that. You know, if I'm if I'm going to run a knee course or a knee program, or putting myself out as I wrote the book on knee pain, what? A, but up the road is the absolute superstar of knees. They've been doing it for fifty years. I can't possibly write a book because they're up. They're they're the expert. I'm not the expert. So that you've got to deal with your own stuff. Don't you know? Don't don't wait to be anointed by your association, Barbara. Just anoint yourself. Um, That's true. That's what they, you know, a lot of people suffering from the imposter syndrome. Yeah, we're all we've all got imposter syndrome. But but if someone says to me, Paul, who, who's the, who's the best health business consultant on the planet? I am. Now you're you're very close, Barbara. Obviously you're very close. But but I am. Now I'm not going to wait for my association to anoint me. I can't wait for that. And assuming there's even an award for it, I'm not going to wait for that. I'm going to put myself out there and I'll market myself and I and I'll believe that. And that's all you can do. You don't, don't wait to be anointed. It's not, it's not arrogant, but it's just you can't wait for the association to position yourself. You can position yourself. Well, the best um, example of that is Muhammad Ali. I don't know if you heard that story, but, you know, he was always known as the you know, greatest boxer that ever lived. <clears throat> and somebody asked him once, well, like, who is the one that started that, that rumor? And he said, well, me. <laughs> <laughs> and he just put it out there and it caught. It's, it's interesting. We talk about, um, I, I do lectures. One, I remember doing a lecture in Florida not long ago and I had, uh, and this is a group of physical therapists and I got two of them out of the audience. This is, this is an interesting exercise. And, and I got them up in front and I, I said, and, I'm thinking, and the question I put to them is, is, is technical excellence a marketing advantage? So is being brilliant as a technician in healthcare, a marketing advantage. That was the question I put to the crowd. Now, most, we want to say yes. Like, we want to say, yeah, the better I am, the better I'll be able to market myself. We want to say that. But I got these two people up in the crowd and, I, and I, I'm mucking around with them. I said, well, this person here is the absolute superstar. I said, they are the best therapist I've ever seen. They're a genius. This person on this side, they're hopeless. They're probably the worst therapist I've ever. And we were laughing as we did. So that took a tongue in cheek. This is the worst therapist in the world. The hopeless. I said I can tell you with hundred percent certainty I can market the hopeless person equally effectively as I can the genius. Think about it. I can position this this no hoper. I can I can get a, a book ghost written for them. I can they they might be a good speaker. I can get them to speak. They might be able to do a presentation. So they can we can position them to be the superstar even though they are clinically hopeless. And, and we, get to, we have trouble with that. But So technical excellence is not a marketing advantage. It's a retention advantage 
because once I've seen the genius, I'll like the genius. Now, compared to the no hoper, I won't go back. So it's a retention advantage. But as a marketing advantage, as a marketer, I can market both of them equally effectively. A little scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's scary, but it's true. If you ask, um, I mean, I love botched. You guys love botched. You know, the TV show botched with those plastic yep, surgeons. Yep. If if you ask 90% of the American population who's the best plastic surgeon in LA, they'll say one of those two guys. Whatever they're I can't remember the names, but wherever that they'll say they they are. But we don't see their failures. We don't see we just we just think because they they're on, they've got visibility and presence that they're great. That's a classy example. They could be hopeless for a winner. That might have been the one case they did well that they videoed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's it, the challenge us a bit when we think about it, and I think there's there's a lot in this. But technical excellence these days, guys, it's 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 a prerequisite. You have to be technically excellent. So I don't think you don't have to be. But it, sometimes we get caught up, Barbara, doing a thousand hours of technical ed to get better and better technically. When at some stage we need to need to turn it back to marketing to recruitment training things that make our business better because it's a different skill set owning a business to being a therapist very different skill set for sure we don't do enough training in it sure so um what (laughs) mistakes do people make uh as uh the covid mistakes oh covid mistakes well covid gave us gave us great opportunities i believe um it gave us great opportunities to to step up as a community leader um, we found a lot of our, our clients were able to leverage COVID to modify their own personal rosters because this is terrible. And I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to COVID, but we were able to blame COVID for pretty well everything. Um, fee increases, uh, change of our owners' rosters, um, having to see other therapists if the other one wasn't available, things that were tough before, like things that were tough to get done before, but... Once we saw, because of COVID, we've had to change our roster. Because of COVID, we've had changed our prices. We've, Brian, the owner, is no longer available because of COVID on Fridays. He's had to do other things. Um, so there, there are opportunities and patients became more compliant on the back of COVID. Uh, and also therapist team members became more compliant. We They were complying with our protocols and procedures better because of COVID. And we used it to the max. Um, this is this is terrible, but and we still are. We're still using COVID. Like if you've got um, patients who only see certain therapists and they won't swap, they just they just won't do it. So because of COVID, Mary, we have to we might have to shuffle your appointments. So sometimes you'll have to see another therapist. That's just how it is. Okay, that, well they wouldn't have done it two years ago. So there's there's opportunities here in that there's changing marketplace there's a big opportunity for as we've seen with remote provision of service we've seen a lot of clinicians or a lot of therapists open uh, psychology services or oc health services that people can do online or therapists can be then doing the service online so a lot of online things have come on um, we've even got clients barbara that have shut their bricks and mortar practices gone totally online and done much better because of it so that, that, that there are there are opportunities for the smart people, and there still are. Um, if you know what to do, there's always an opportunity. In everything that happens, as terrible as it is, that's the, that's the reality of. Well, Paul, now that our listeners have gotten a taste of you, um, of the poor things, <laughs> uh, they may say, you know, like, 
Jay, I'd like to hear more about him. So, you know, how can people reach you and uh, get more of your resources? Uh, We do a monthly webinar. We do a a practiceology demonstration every month. Um, You guys can register for that. Go to mypracticeology.com forward slash Hales, H-A-L-E-S, in reference to the great Barbara. So go to mypracticeology.com forward slash Hales, and you can register for our next uh, practiceology demonstration. Um, I've also got a, a pretty good gift. Um, uh, we do. We have a Paul's Incredible Gift where we'll get you um, $572 worth of resources posted out to you. I'll even post your copy of the book, How to Run a One-Minute Practice. Um, you also get access to the online Profit Club Academy Library, all of our resources there with um, a huge range of resources. That's all um, $19.95. Go to uh, paulsincrediblegift.com. So paulsincrediblegift.com for 19 bucks. We post you a stack of stuff. You get access to everything online. Plus I'll post you a copy of the book. Um, if you just want a copy of the book, if you'd rather get a copy of just the book only, um, if you go to one minute practice.com forward slash book sales, one minute practice.com forward slash book sales. And you can type in a code uh, Barbara OS. If you're not in Australia, Barbara OS is the code. And you can get that book for five bucks. So, or find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my favorite platform. So, um, paulsincrediblegift.com to get started on some more resources, one minutepractice.com book sales, or, or as I said, register for that webinar, mypracticeology.com forward slash Hales. And we'll see you on one of those programs. Well, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. This has been another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors with your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing Tips for Doctors. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Press the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about the show. Join us on marketingtipsfordoctors.com for replays and more resources to help grow your practice, strengthen your brand, and dominate your field. Remember, you are one tweet from greatness. Greatness.